Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Good morning, everyone. I will add my welcome to Lori's energized welcome and announcements. Wow, you had a list to get through and you did it with with verve. Excellent. I'm still smiling. I'm still uh, reflecting on the joy of hearing the children again and singing that uh, give us hope. And I was thinking about, even as they were heading out, I was thinking of what's given us hope this week and, and to give to them in their young lives as they look ahead. Well, I'm, I'm relieved that there seems to be some good things happening in the Russia-Ukraine uh, they're jockeying for position in their negotiations, but at least they're talking, and there seems to be some things happening other than just destruction and death. I will say to you, I proclaim the biggest thing that gave me hope this week is the Pope giving that heartfelt apology and seeking reconciliation. And I, I feel that there is good ahead for our First Nations in Canada and their return to a life of respect. Uh, I'm just so hopeful and grateful for what has happened there in Rome and how it will come this summer to Canada. So these are, these are things that I'm reflecting on and smiling about even as we begin our thinking together this morning. Let me just highlight again a couple of lines of what Chris just read to us. John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If someone remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then fast forward to near the end of what uh, we read there. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Let me just pray for a moment. Spirit of the living God, we welcome you amongst us. Whisper a word to our hearts. Grant us a wisdom, a strength, a connection as you speak to us, as we share in your words. Come, Holy One. Amen. So here in this John chapter 15, here is to me an incredible, wonderful word from Jesus. And it's focused on the possibilities, the potential of following him. I recognize immediately there are several layers and levels that we could examine if, if we go after this and say, what was going on here? Why, why did Jesus say this? Who was it aimed toward? First of all, it's Jesus in the Last Supper. He's in the upper room with his disciples. He, know, he knows time is running out. So there's a sense in which he's anticipating the challenge ahead and he's giving them some last instructions and last word of encouragement. Okay. But we could also ask, as some 
good biblical scholars do, we could ask, why did this get written down 50 years later? Maybe 60 years later. This is from the Gospel of John. It's not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, which were written earlier. They were written in the 60s and 70s, we believe. But John was written late 80s, maybe even early 90s. 50 or 60 years after Jesus. Why did John remember this and write it down? Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't. That's something we could poke at for a bit. Was this... Was this a call to bring people back? Had there been a little bit of drifting away and people were getting disconnected and they remember Jesus saying, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The whole conversation of Jesus here seems to point to self-examination. Just stepping back and looking at ourselves and our faith community How tight are we in our spiritual lives? How much are we connected and bearing fruit, growing? There's there's that sense about it. And there's a sense in which we get a chance to reflect on what should a disciple of Jesus look like? What should they act like? If you're looking for a Christ follower, a Christian, what should you see? Could it be just a, a, a facade, a, a masquerade? They, they look good on the outside, but inside there's not real strong discipleship. That's something that I hesitate to go toward. But we still have to ask, what What will it look like to see a true Christian? And is it possible to masquerade? Story I've heard about uh, one of the great zoos in the world. They had a a spectacular elderly gorilla. And he was really popular. School children would be brought. And he learned how to engage. He he had a, a rapport, a relationship with people outside his cage. And they were coming up to a big holiday event. There was going to be thousands of people coming to the zoo. But unexpectedly, the gorilla passed away in the night. And the next morning, the management of the zoo was in crisis mode. What are we going to do? And they had a team meeting. And it happened that the... um, manager or the head of HR, human resources, um, personnel department, was in the meeting. And he said, I know this is a little wacky, but I've got an idea. What if we got a gorilla suit and put somebody inside? Lori's laughing already. (laughs) I'm not even at the (laughs) punchline. The personnel officer suggested this, and he said, here's the thing. I've got a guy been hounding me for a job here. He's a former actor. He's very athletic. I think he could do it if we put him inside a suit, put him in the cage. He can get us through, bridge us through the weekend. And the rest of the management said, okay, we got no other choice. There's no gorillas out available for easy higher. So they did it. They gave him two days to get used to the suit and practice swinging from 
branches. And when they put him in the cage, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he was spectacularly well. Holiday Monday, he was enjoying it so much that he was swinging from tree to tree and going, and he got a little too exuberant, and he went flying right over the wire fence that separated his cage from the next, and he landed on the dirt on the next cage, which happened to be the lion's den. The lion was there. He'd been sitting in the corner in the shade, kind of half asleep, but he heard the plunk as the gorilla landed, and he got up, and he started to pad over slowly toward the gorilla, and the guy in the suit panicked. He started yelling and peeling parts off and and saying, help, get me out of here. By now, the, the lion's right up at his face, and he feels the hot breath, and all of a sudden he hears in his ear, shut up, you fool, you're going to ruin both our jobs. <laughs> there it is, okay. <laughs> well, the little story raises uh, a lot of questions, <laughs> but one of them is, what's it, what makes a real gorilla? Is it the facade outside? And I'll just quickly spin it over. What makes a real Christian? Is it what you see on the outside? Or is there something, should there be something real and genuine and powerful on the inside? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There it is for us. I'm realizing that the truth in this long passage is, it's for me at my point, this point in my life, this is the most important message I could possibly hear at this point in my Christian life. I need to hear it again and again. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. I need to put this into practice every day repeatedly. And when I do, it's wonderful. It makes an incredible impact. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. And that calls us to a sense of utter dependence, connectedness, reliancy, leaning in, leaning on. Utter dependence and the living God living within us, the risen Christ. So let me make some quick observations, brief ones first, and then get into something a little deeper. First of all, what I really notice about this, there's a relaxed intimacy in this saying from Jesus. He describes a wonderful relationship that we can have. Listen to verse 16, the last verses that Chris read to us. You are my friends. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I've called you friends. For me, I love hearing that. That's liberating. My Christianity doesn't have to be a tight, tense, rigid, striving to fulfill holy orders. Instead, it becomes fun. There can be this 
This joyful, warm, exuberant friendship. What a friend you are to Jesus. We know the old hymn. Think of it the other. What a friend you are to Jesus. Smile. Enjoy it. Enjoy him. Something else. There's still an element of responsibility to this. I chose you and appointed you, Jesus said, to go and bear fruit. Because we're in a friendship, all friendships should have mutual responsibility to each other. We take care of each other. We want and do the best for each other. So because you're in a friendship, what you do is no longer an obligation. And yet, we have responsibilities. I actually like that. I like that Jesus gives us a purpose and tasks. I feel some excitement. I have this great friend, and he's asking if I can help him. You bet I can. Of course I will. Something else, a third thought. This word from Jesus is a call to connectedness. It can't be just a surface relationship. It can't be a long-distance friendship. It's got to be the real deal. Verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I need to stay, you need to stay tight with Jesus. A great, warm, close bond. So this leads me to my fourth thought, and I'm going to get longer now for the next two. And this is a personal observation. I've come to realize there are varieties and degrees of Christian experience. There are levels of spirituality, of connectedness and commitment. It ain't all the same all the time. So let me make a confession to you. Over the years since I was ordained, and it's 44 years next month since I was ordained, but over those years, my friendship with Jesus has warmed and cooled. It has risen and it has fallen. My minister friends have heard me talk about how in my earlier years, particularly in the first decade or so, I caught myself slipping into the role of the hired pro, professional Christian. I used to say to the congregations back then in New Brunswick and uh, another congregation here, I used to say, see, I'm the professional. I'm paid to be good. You folks are good for nothing. Well, Lori's still awake. Okay. I slipped into this hired pro mode where I could play the role. My dad was a minister. Both my brothers are ministers. My daughter's a minister. It's the family business. I can do this. I can play the role of minister, of church leader. But there's something missing. If I'm just putting the gorilla suit on, and it's only Orville on the inside. It just isn't what Jesus 
saw his disciples being. There's, there needs to be something more. I liken it to, and I'm going to switch metaphors now, dump the gorilla. I'm, I'm going into my backyard. For 23 years in our backyard, we had a pool, and it, uh, we tried to use it kind of from the 24th of May right through till Thanksgiving. And on those early weeks in May, early June, and at the end, after Labor Day, it would be getting cool, and the water could be almost unswimmable unless you had a heater, and we had a heater. And always in that heater, there was a pilot light, and it was just a small little light, and it gave off a little bit of heat, but it really didn't heat the whole pool. But if the thermostat clicked, I could hear the pilot light ignite all the burners, whoosh. And within a few moments, I knew if I was in the pool, get in front of one of the outlets, the jets, and you'd feel the hot water coming in. And I'd sit in front of those with my arms like this and the warm water on my back. It was nice. The thing I've realized is my Christian life is like that too. Sometimes... I just let it go down to the pilot light. And there's not enough light or heat. I need, I need to get lit up by Christ. And I need it regularly, daily in my heart. Let me tell you how I've been doing it in the last couple of years. Um, one of the things is reading and soaking in the great Christian leaders of the past. Julian of Norwich is one of my heroes. Lori's heard this. And I'm so glad we're using Julian's writings through this Lenten period. If you're not part of that group, it's okay. I would recommend still get the book and use it for 40 days. It will light your pilot light and all the burners. Marvelous stuff. I've been reading that. And the other thing I've done, I took from Tony Campolo, professor of sociology in Pennsylvania and preacher and Christian activist. Campolo said he is at a stage in his life, he's in his 80s now and pretty well retired, but he said, I wake up every morning and I load up. Now, what's he talking about? He said, I lie still and just let God's presence come. And I consciously open my spirit and receive. He said, I believe the risen, resurrected Christ, his spirit is present amongst us. And we have the choice to welcome and receive him in and be at the core inside. And Campolo said, I just lie there. I don't pray for anything. I don't have a wish list I'm asking for. Sometimes I say his name, Jesus, and welcome him in. And sometimes I don't, but I always yield to his presence. <sighs> Friends, I've been trying it, and it works. There's a peace, there's a, a wisdom, there's a centering that comes when I just shut up, be still, and let God come, the living Christ. It's about staying connected, 
about abiding in Jesus. Abide in me, he said, for apart from me you can do nothing. Which leads me to this next thought. My effectiveness, my joy, yours as a Christian will be maximized when we're tightly connected, when we're doing whatever it does for you, whether it's Campolo's idea or Julian of Norwich, not just believing in him, not just cognitively saying, okay, I accept the historic reality of a Jesus of Nazareth, not just even being uh, a minister or a volunteer in the church, nothing wrong with those things, but the real fun The impact comes when the power of the living Christ is within us. It's not that I or any of us are that spectacular. No. But who is within us? That makes the difference. There's an authority, there's a joy, there's a purpose, there's a direction, there's a power. When that living Christ is within some of you know I was in England for the last two weeks. We have a daughter who uh, teaches in London. And almost any time I get over there, and we haven't been able to go for two years because of, but almost any time I go, I connect with Holy Trinity Anglican Church in Brompton, about three blocks from Herod's, if you know London, Herod's big department store, about eight blocks behind Buckingham Palace. This huge very vibrant Anglican church. And I've, I've been in conferences with their former rector. He's now retired, Sandy Miller. And he told us a story one time of being in the church uh, for a Sunday evening service. And the, the band and the worship team were up and singing and everyone was in uh, a great joy of, of peaceful celebration. And the place was packed. And Sandy was leaning against the back wall because there were so many people. And he was by the side door. And a woman came in off the street with a dog on a leash. And, well, let me read you uh, from Sandy's memoirs. He says, I love dogs, but we don't have a ministry to dogs. (laughs) And this was a horrid dog. Mean looking, a pit bull or a Doberman. I was standing at the back and I had to say something to the woman. The church was packed. I was afraid someone would step back, tread on the dog, and things might get real ugly real fast. So he said to the woman, I'm very sorry, you can't bring that dog in here, into this packed church. And she just glared at him and said, try and stop me. And she just kept going in. And he said, ma'am, please, I'll have to call the authorities and have you and your dog escorted out. She said, you go right ahead. And she just kept going right in. So Sandy had to call. And they had a connection, the the Metropolitan Police, uh, because there was big crowds and parking and issues, there were always a few officers around. Sandy made the request. A young officer came in at the back door. By now, the woman was halfway through the congregation. But she happened to glance back, and she saw this 19-year-old, Sandy said, police officer in full uniform. And as soon as she saw him, she turned and went out another door and was gone into the neighborhood, and she didn't come back. The police officer didn't have to get to her. He didn't have to take her in. He didn't even have to say a word to her. 
he walked in with the authority of that uniform. And Sandy said afterward, behind the uniform lies all the resources of the Metropolitan Police and behind that are all the Queen's horses and all the Queen's men. Not as many as she once had, but enough still to deal with a woman and her dog. The point is, we belong to Jesus. We belong to the God, Lord of the universe. We have behind us and within us a tremendous authority and power. And Jesus wants us to exercise that with all the love and compassion and generosity and justice and gusto that we can. Abide in me, he says. Remain in me and I shall remain with you and you shall bear much fruit. So I want to probe this truth just one more way. Our effectiveness as Christians will be maximized when we're tightly connected and know who abides within us. There's a measure of joy that cannot be explained. There's an an enthusiasm for life, an easy, amazing confidence and peace when you know Christ within you, the hope of glory to come. You can go into the world with a daring and tender love. In the early years of my ministry, I had several heroes who inspired me. Two of them were part of an organization called Faith at Work. Some of you may have heard of the Faith at Work organization. Two of them were these Presbyterian ministers, Lloyd Ogilvie and Bruce Larson. That may not mean much, but if you ever met these men, there was a warmth about them, there was a friendliness, there was a zest for life. They talked, of, they talked about living in the stream of the Spirit. God's Spirit is flowing in our world and living in the stream of that. Both of them, they weren't wacko, looney tunes, zany Christians at all. They, both of them were scholarly, thoughtful, well-grounded leaders of the church. And their congregations and their ministries flourished. I still read some of their books. They're both gone now. Been gone for a dozen, 15 years. But I still read some of their books, and it's exhilarating again to catch a glimpse of some of the things God can do, God will do, when we are connected to the vine of life, Jesus. So I want to tell you one more story. And it's an astonishing one. It could leave us kind of scratching our heads a bit. It's one of those ones that you ponder and think about after. But it's a, I know it's a true story. It comes from an Anglican priest who is now the assistant bishop of London. I trust the source on this. It's about an 84-year-old woman who was, was in his congregation in South Wales. She was widowed. Because of health issues, she had been blind for about... 14 years, and the medical people hadn't been able to restore her sight. Her congregation had an Alpha weekend, and there was an emphasis on God's spirit and God's compassion and power 
for us. And they began to pray for each other. And this woman came forward and the, the rector, the priest, and a few other leaders laid hands on her and prayed for her. And she felt a glow and wonderful. And, and she took her white cane and went back home. And later on Sunday night, she came back to the, service, to the church for the evensong service. And when she went up in the evening, they added communion to that. And she went up to the altar and she was kneeling and she had her white cane beside her and she had her hands out for the bread. And you can imagine what's coming. The priest put the bread in her hands and she looked up and realized for the first time in 14 years that she could see her priest and she could see the bread. And she partook. And she went home that night quietly, but praising God. And when she got to the front door, her grandson, eight years old, opened the door. And he knew immediately that something was different. Because she was looking directly at, she had never focused before. And for the first time, she could see her eight-year-old grandson. And he said, Gran, what's happened? And she said, Jesus has healed me. And a child can be quite practical. His response was, did you thank him? And she said, yes, I did. I don't know. I just don't know what the living Christ, the vine of life, has in store for you, for me, for our church. It's a great adventure out ahead. I do know this. If we stay connected to him, if we abide in him, then you and I and this church will bear much fruit. And we'll thank him, won't we? Amen. Let me pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, we welcome you amongst us. Let your gentle warmth slip into our hearts, into our consciousness. Empower us with a love and a cheerfulness that we might serve you and your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.